When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, they mean it. Whether you're at the beach or in the mountains, Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform that simplifies selling to anyone from anywhere. Don't let the technical stuff slow your sales down. Because with Shopify, you can monitor inventory, track sales, fulfill and ship orders from anywhere with an internet connection. Join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide and start selling with Shopify today. Sign up for a $1 trial at shopify.com slash free 23. Shopify.com slash free 23. We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Hi everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. No Sarah today, unfortunately, because she's gone and lost her bloody voice. So it's just me, but the good news is I'm not alone. I'm joined with the far superior company of the wonderful Kate Gray. Hi. Hi, Kate. How are you? I don't know what she's going to think to that, but yeah, it's so um, nice to be here. She doesn't listen to the podcast, don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. I'm very excited to talk to you. And this is a, this has become a bit of a tradition now whenever I do a podcast. I start by saying, Kate and I met at Harrogate <laughs> last year. <laughs> and uh you i remember when i met you you're like oh my debut's out next year very exciting yeah. and now it's next year and it's happening <laughs> like a couple of weeks weeks away it's um yeah and when i met that my harrogate was my first time i harrogate popped my cherry yeah um, you guys probably a bit dazed and like oh my gosh <laughs> what's going on it's a lot it's a lot i mm. mean my liver at the end of it <laughs> <laughs> you survived to tell the tale and Maybe this is the year that you finish it off. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Hopefully not. I learned a lot to pace myself, to really go steady. I mean, I didn't make a, you know, I didn't make a joke of myself, I hope. No, not at all. Well, I can if you forget how, you know, three solid days of, especially after COVID, like mm. speaking, mingling and having events, like it's brilliant, but it's so exhausting in the best possible way. Yeah. But yeah, I need to. I was speaking to someone recently, they likened it to Freshers Week and it does oh. feel a bit like Freshers Week, doesn't it? <laughs> Oh my God, Freshers Week. I mean, I can, that was, that's a blur. Yeah. But, uh, it definitely wasn't as boozy as Freshers Week, thank God. Yes, yeah, very true. But we were younger then with resilient livers and all that kind of fun stuff. But before we get into talking about you and your wonderful new book, uh, I've got a little bit of a bio that um, I've pulled from the internet about you. So hopefully it's all correct. So I'll read that and then we'll get stuck into business. So here we go. Kate Gray is a psychological thriller author. Her debut, The Honeymoon, was snapped up in a four-way auction with well by Welbeck. Very exciting. Uh, and it will be published in hardback in July 2023. She has also written commercial women's fiction as Katie Collins, and her previous six novels have been translated into several languages and have been published internationally. Kate Gray has a degree in journalism and has previously worked in public relations. She lives in Yorkshire and struggles her love of writing around her two young children. She's also very lovely, very kind, and a joy to spend time with. So oh, nice. <laughs> but it's all true. As I say, I can personally attest to it. So. <laughs> so to start off with, so as we've touched on in the old bio there, you have come from a different genre of writing in your background. So what led you to writing crime fiction? So it started with a nightmare, like literally a literal nightmare in lockdown. I mean, that was a nightmare. <laughs> but during that nightmare, I had an actual nightmare. And I woke up 
convinced I'd killed a man in Thailand and they were coming after me, but I didn't do it. But everyone believed I did. And oh my I was God. in sweat and my heart was pounding and it was so realistic. And then my husband turned to me and said, it's lockdown. We've not even left. <laughs> or whatever it was at that stage. You haven't been to Thailand in years. You're not a criminal mastermind that's pulled this off somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, But it felt so real. And I just really wanted to kind of go with that idea. And I was thinking, well, how, you know, what would be the worst case scenario? And I thought, well, what if this happened on your honeymoon? What if you got involved in a crime that you say you didn't commit? And during that time, I had been struggling to write my seventh commercial women's fiction novel. Right. And battling it for months and months and months, basically for our over lockdown. And I was blaming the lack of creativity to kind of get this, this book going. So when I had this idea about the nightmare and I was fired up about writing again, and I just really ran with it. And even though it wasn't a women's fiction novel, it wasn't mm. anything like I'd written before, I was so excited to sit back down in front of my laptop and work. And I just had lost that spark for so long. So I just, oh. I just went really not knowing what would happen or whether I could even tell a, a crime story but um but yeah just went with it amazing and I think one of the I mean I've, I'm reading the book at the moment as I told you before I haven't finished it yet I'm so close and I was hoping to finish it before I didn't have time but it's, I'm loving it so far because of your background in writing women's fiction is that you write really well-rounded female characters as a result and I think that can sometimes be missing in crime fiction. So I think that's, it's led you to this point, but it's the journey that's brought you here has made you a better crime writer in a way. Yeah, so much. That's really nice to hear because it is nerve wracking going out mm. in a different having a new name, hoping to find new readers, not sure if my old readers will come along with me and like the, the switch, you know, it's, mm. it's quite nerve wracking and exciting all at the same time. But I do feel that the, everything I learned in my previous six novels in writing female and male characters and kind of a, a lot of it is character based mm. has really kind of set me set me on a good path I guess but yeah. uh, it's just the killings and the, that side of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, I guess that's the, the slightly new part but yeah the relationships and things that you describe uh, that the characters have in the books they're but as the title alludes to they're both there are two sets of couples on their honeymoons so newlyweds uh, and very two different very different sets of couples and their relationships i think you capture that really well thank you yes they're at this really exclusive resort in bali but mm. they're kind of some are a bit more comfortable being there than the others and they spark up this friendship as you do on holidays mm. baking the experts on the sun lounger you know and then what kind of becomes of that and their friendship and the journey they both go on with this massive event that happens on the last night of their honeymoon um, and starting their married life with this secret, but not really fully understanding who's involved, how it happens, who they can trust. And yeah, and, and lots of lovely murders and killings. Yes. <laughs> yes. And lots of feelings of there's a kind of an, an underlying theme throughout of like mistrust and constantly questioning and, you know, looking at the person that you think you know, you love and you know, and you know so well and then seeing them in a whole new light after this event has happened and yeah it's, it's very exciting it's very intriguing i have to say was it difficult to just write about murder for the first time did how did you begin the research process for that well again it was based on that idea this this nightmare that i had because mm. it felt so realistic i mean thank god i had a pen and paper next to the bed that <laughs> just put down everything i could remember the feeling that i had that real disgusting feeling of oh my god my life is going to be over and I didn't do it and I wasn't and that kind of 
push that drive kind of helped me keep developing the story and the different characters. And then the murder itself did change between mm. edit. Oh, okay. Change, like different things kind of, you know, as, as I went on, it's like slight tweaks to it all. But I really wanted to keep that core feeling of you don't, who do you trust? You can't trust anybody. You're mm. supposed to trust the person you married. You're supposed to start this amazing life together. Do you even trust yourself? And I just really like enjoyed that feeling of mm. making the reader unsure of who to trust. Because a lot of the writing process itself, I didn't know. I didn't know who who the murderer was, who how it all came about. But because I was so wrapped up in telling this story, um, I wrote it really fast. I really like short chapters. I really want that fast pace, pace page turning aspect mm. to it. Sort of thing I like when I'm reading thrillers. So yes, yeah, so I wrote it in only two months. It was wow. I've ever done it any of my novels, and I think that kind of propulsive way and that style I hope kind of resonates with the readers and they kind of get caught up in that whirlwind as well oh definitely well, I can personally say that I have for sure um, and was it a bit of a relief when you woke up from that dream thinking like I'm not a complete psychopath I care that I've murdered someone you know because they could have gone the other way and been like ah that was fun that was very it's enjoyable <laughs> yeah no it's my worst fear and and now actually writing about crime and doing a lot more research and kind of the next novel that I'm writing there's different kind of murders involved in that, different crimes that happen and the research in that and being a bit more in that crime world, whether it's reading a lot more crimes, well as going to Harrogate, mm. speaking to my authors, like that li- lid's been lifted a bit. I was in my kind of, the women's fiction world is, is very <laughs> different to this. A lot, this is so much darker and I'm really embracing <laughs> that dark side. Great. And the, the amazing thing I think is when you meet these authors at Harrogate, especially or different events, and they're so lovely and sweet and mild-mannered. And then they write these mm-hmm. really boring, <laughs> dirty, like bad stuff. And you're like, how has that come from your mind? But yeah. it's exciting to be able to step a foot in that a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always think when I'm around these authors, like, you could all probably commit murder and get away with it. <laughs> and uh, that's a quite a terrifying prospect, but also very exciting, as you say. <laughs> And you talked about reading quite a bit there. And I, I, I'm guessing you're a big reader yourself in your own time. Yeah. If you, do you get much spare time to read uh, these days? Yeah. With the kids around. And yeah, we've only just recently moved house. And mm. yeah, the last kind of couple of months have just been a bit manic, really. But yeah, I, I think I read a lot more last year. This year has been a bit more sporadic in, um, and doing my own edits on the book two that I'm currently working on hasn't been written in two months, hasn't been this dream situation, <laughs> didn't come from a nightmare. It's been a bit of a pig of a book, if I'm honest. So that's taken up a lot more time than I'd hoped, really. Well, speaking of your the pig of your book, the pig of the book, uh, <laughs> the new book, didn't we always ask the authors that come on the podcast what they enjoy most and least about the writing process? So obviously you've had a very a wide range of different approaches, I imagine, given the different types of books you're writing. Obviously, The Honeymoon was two-monther, this one's a pig. So what do you what do you enjoy most and least? Um, gosh, again, this is so this the one I'm currently writing is my eighth novel, and I haven't got a process, and it's so frustrating. And every time I'm like, right, this is the one, going to be a planner, <laughs> you're going to know everything, you're going to get it all sewn up. And I tried to plan with this one, I really battle against it, and I just couldn't. And I just don't think I've got it in me. So <laughs> I have a vague idea, I have a start and an end. I kind of guess how I'm going to get there. And then I've got 80,000 words in between to kind of figure it out. (laughs) 
Exactly. And I, I overwrite a lot. I edit a lot. So I think the worst part for me is feeling overwhelmed, feeling like what I know what I want it to be like. I want mm. how I want it to look and the, what I want to say, but not knowing how to get there. Yeah. Piecing the structure, those sort of things. I find I'm really impatient as a person. I just want to get that. I just want to tell the story. And I think in publishing, especially, I've now come to realize that it's so slow and I'm so impatient that that's for me. It's quite it's quite a hard thing. Maybe I should get into a short stories or something. Might be a bit, yeah, especially this one has been has been a slow process. But I really enjoy hearing from readers. That's probably one of my favourite things about writing and hearing having emails or messages from readers. I just think that's just incredible when people say lovely things or things that my books have made them feel. And because it's such a lonely job, mm. it's to kind of get that feedback and and make sure you know feel like I'm not alone and yeah I actually do quite like editing in a weird way I like getting a red pen out and thinking how can change things it's a bit like minority report where you can (laughs) pull them into one place but um I carry a lot in my head I don't take that many notes like I said I don't really plan and I know that I'm a pain to live with (laughs) when I'm in this stage because I'm here, but I'm not here. And I think a lot of authors have that yeah. kind of where we're walking around with this entire novel and all these cast of characters constantly talking to us. And then you've got to switch off and do the school run or make dinner. Or what, and I find that really difficult, that transition. And even though it's been eight novels in, I still haven't figured out the best way to do that without being shouty mum. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're only human, but I've de- that seems to definitely be a common thing is getting your head out, dipping in and out of those worlds. And as you said, writing can be a very isolated kind of process and quite lonely process. How do you navigate that? Do you do you share what you're writing with anyone or do you bounce ideas off your husband or anything like that? Um, I have a really good group of writer friends on good WhatsApp groups. We do writing retreats occasionally. And that's really helpful because they understand it and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's normal. And but my husband, actually, he's a journalist and he has been fantastic, especially with The Honeymoon, because one of the characters is a journalist. And so mm-hmm. he was brilliant for kind of tapping into resources. And a lot of the things that he's covered in his past is crime and he'll cover court cases and really harrowing true real life stories. So he's been brilliant to kind of get ideas, like steal ideas from, I guess. But he's not a big reader. So, OK, uh, so that's the other kind of side I my my agent reads it, my editor reads it. But to, what I have started doing is voice memoing, voice recording chapters, because he drives a lot with his job. And then he'll listen as like oh, a little... Oh, like a free audio book. Yeah. That's brilliant. I love that. And you can put like cheesy music, just like really <laughs> like suspenseful music at the start. I love that. Do, do you do all the voices and stuff as well? No, no, because I have a lot of accents. And that would just get himself. About, you know, like completely lose the plot. Yeah, take you out of the story. But oh, yeah. <laughs> It's meant to be Irish and it's like American, like, you know... <laughs> I like the idea as well of you writing in like, and then a horse came in, clip clock, clip clock, clip clock, like Foley <laughs> artist stuff, just go into it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's really, that's a really sweet way of engaging him with it. If he's not a natural reader like that, that's amazing. Trust his judgment so much. And it's someone that I know won't judge me with this, the very messy, rough first draft. And because and I speak to him all the time about it he knows it more than anybody else like any of my friends it'd be harder for me to kind of go right well have you got three hours and then I'll explain exactly <laughs> the story 
so yeah so he's he's really he's really good I was going to say because obviously you so you've tapped into his journalism experience and you have a degree in journalism yourself and as you said one of your protagonist characters Sophia is a journalist uh, how much of your personal kind of experience was draw- brought into her character was it all stolen from your husband <laughs> Pretty much all stolen. <laughs> he was the only one, because we went to university together, he was the only one on our course that actually became a journalist. Oh, really? <laughs> careers. I went straight into public relations. And yeah, so we, I kind of never, never did the death knocks, the door knocks, <sighs> the kind of, you know, all the stuff that terrifies me. Mm. And yeah, that's kind of his day to day, really. Yeah, you have to be a very particular kind of person to be able to do that and have a thick skin to get through that process, I imagine, as well. Exactly. And I think what I really like in, in crime thriller books is when you've got the detective role isn't a detective, a police mm. detective. Or I like the kind of journalist or the friend or someone who kind of has different kind of skill sets. So she fitted really well in the honeymoon. I thought she was like a quite a good fit to be able to mm. tell the story and kind of she's got her own secrets, but she's also trying to uncover exactly what happened on the last night of their honeymoon. So, so yeah, so, so I really like, I really like her as a character, but she's a lot more braver than I ever would be. <laughs> she is very brave. And that's, that's a really good point. I really like the way she's basically drawn into this accidentally, kind of, she kind of, she's there, you know, it's circumstantial. She's there at the time. So she's got a loose kind of connection to it. So she's, her interest is peaked and then she's inadvertently finds herself investigating something that she didn't even necessarily you know, needed investigating at the beginning. So it's a really interesting kind of character path. And I, I mean, has your husband solved any murders? I guess is what I'm getting <laughs> <Yeah>. at. <laughs> I imagine. No, he's not told me if he has. Wow. Uh, no, oh gosh, I know. But he's really good at, have you thought about how they might investigate this or how mm. about this? Those kind of little mo- like nuggets of information that I'm like, okay, I need to get to A to B. How do I do it? And those sort of journalistic ways or ways to investigate, I think how journalists get their stories is quite similar to how the police might mm. start their investigations. Yeah, that's a really good point. And obviously the book, part of the book is set abroad, it's in, in Bali. How did you go about researching that side of things or how it would work over there? So I, my mother-in-law actually lives in Bali. She oh, emigrated handy. to visit Bali. We spent a bit of time there. And originally the very first draft of the honeymoon was actually set in Barbados. Ah. But we figured, me and my agent had this good chat and we were like, well, it's not to raise the stakes. Let's set it in a country where there's a language barrier, where there's a death penalty, where there's mm. you know, that risk of when things go wrong and that, yeah, things can just be misconstrued, I guess. So, so we sat on Bali and I got to then relive it through, I mean, it was lockdown when I was writing it, so I haven't actually been able to go back to visit, but I got to relive it through all my videos I took and the photos of our trip and stuff. So that was lovely and lots of YouTube videos. And actually it's incredible how many people put their honeymoon videos on YouTube. Wow. You're watching these people on their honeymoon. And I just think, isn't that quite a private thing? You want I to would think talking? so, but the internet is a wild place sometimes, <laughs> yeah. right? It was very PG. There was nothing. Oh. <laughs> I just thought, would you want to film yourself on your honeymoon? Anyway, but mm. people, t- and it was great for me because I got to see all these incredible honeymoon suites and the kind of experiences that I might do on a honeymoon in Bali. So uh, yeah, I was soaking it up. That's brilliant. Yeah, of course. Because you're often the influencers, they go to the high end resorts and everything. So you get that first, oh, very clever especially if you couldn't go there. Is the plan to write 
a book set in places you want to visit so then you can be like oh it's a work trip and then I know. think so yeah, yeah. exactly yeah although my next one isn't that's set in uh, Portsmouth oh is that you've been <laughs> just like burning that. desire to visit Portsmouth have you <laughs> Portsmouth is lovely but yeah it's not as exotic as Bali no but... yeah slightly different climate I would say at the very at the moment though oh my gosh I'm melting me too yeah it's hot in the UK at the moment. My little office that I'm in is very hot. It's currently 28 degrees in this room. Oh, yeah. But it's all worth it. Oh, I don't know. The light is a very flattering blur on the old camera there, but thank you. So you are a big reader, as we touched upon as well. And I appreciate you having as much time to read this year as you would like. But what was the last book that you read and loved? So I actually, my memory's so bad again, I don't know if <laughs> or because of COVID, but I had to write this down. So the what, last one I read and loved was 56 Days by Catherine Ryan Howard. Oh, okay. I've heard about this one. Yeah. I was recommended it for plotting. Like the way this book is plotted out, the structure of it is so clever and it kind of bounces back and forth in time, but it doesn't like disorientate you. Like a lot of, wow. kind of those do. So I adored that one. Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney. Yeah. That's a very clever one for plotting. A kind of, again, he said, she said type book, which I really enjoy those, especially those married couples or those couples. They're both actually books about couples. Who to trust? Whose voice are we hearing from? I really think they're, I know mm. there's a lot of them now, but the way these ones particularly have been plotted, I think were very special and, and very clever. Um, and then the one before that that I remember is The Appeal by Janice Hallett. Yeah. Ridiculously inventive and again, so clever and how she kept all that information in her head as she was writing it. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was wonderful. Amazing. Three really good recommendations there. And uh, as you're writing more and more crime, do you think that you're you're gaining influence from the books that you're reading or are you kind of noticing that your writing's developing in a different way now that you're getting more into it? Um that's a good question. I don't know. I, I'm really nervous. And I think I, I imagine you've got lots of authors that say this about kind of magpieing and stealing ideas from, yeah. from courts. So I am, I'm nervous when I read those, but I, and it's really also difficult to kind of switch off that, that brain and just enjoy it for pleasure as a reader. Cause you're I'm always thinking, oh, they've done that really well. Or how have they seeded that idea here? And I'd go back through and sometimes I even take a highlighter pen. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> nerdy. <laughs> and I'll actually go through and work out how they have done the reveal and when those kind of breadcrumbs were, were laid out. Mm. Because I think, again, all that sort of stuff can help with when you've got an editor on board, but it's, it's, it's really incredible how, how authors are able to do that. And so I'm, it's one part that I really want to kind of learn a lot more. Oh, really interesting. Because, yeah, we definitely have a lot of authors that say, I try not to read too much while I'm writing just in case I accidentally absorb something and put it in. A lot of the authors also say to avoid that, they just read nonfiction for pleasure because it's the only kind of genre they can read and not go, oh, like looking at it like it's work almost. Yeah, well, that's a good idea. Mm. But but as I say, it's you can still enjoy the glory of someone else's craft and learning from their their plotting and experience so it's uh yeah double-edged sword i suppose uh and probably comes with the territory a little bit that you accidentally write something or like we we had a uh, tim logan on uh recently and he was saying you know when you're telling someone about an idea and, the, and you, you're really excited about it and they go oh yeah just like that book that came out like three months ago or something you're like uh what? <laughs> like 
I can imagine it's so easily done. Well, there was that thing, isn't it, in Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. Yes. Yeah, and it's like how ideas float around and they go into people's heads and some people grab hold of them. And, you know, that's why you'll see occasionally these kind of trends that happen in publishing and in books and in films and TV sheets and series of kind of it was like all the vampires at one stage or the the kind of like hunger game. And And it's incredible how that, all these ideas must have happened at the same time for them to come to fruition at the same time and mm. um, zeitgeist, I guess. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love that book as well. It's such a, an interesting thought that an idea isn't exclusive to one person and that it can just float around and be yeah, taken yeah. by anyone who grabs it, really. It's a really good book. Again, for another nonfiction, that's a, it's a really good, I really enjoyed that. I read that a couple of years ago. I loved her Eat, Pray, Love. I mean, that was one that really started me on my my own kind of author journey mm. with with my women's fiction, which was kind of very much based on going backpacking and traveling as a solo traveler and really inspired by Liz Gilbert. So I think I think her way of words and how she kind of puts things is so accessible and mm. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I listened to an audiobook and even her reading it, like it's just so engaging. And yeah, she's definitely she's quite good, turns out. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> That multi-award winning, best-selling author, Liz Gilbert's quite good uh, at writing. Uh, And now that you're obviously reading a lot of crime fiction and you're getting your head, it's really stuck and immersed in that world, you're probably picking up on some tropes that tend to repeat. Uh, Are there any that you're at this point thinking, oh, enough of this now, or you're a bit sick of, or that, yeah, just being done to death, want of a better phrase? (laughs) Nice. Um... So I, well, what the kind of crime books that I shy away from, or I just don't, I'm not that interested in, is the police detective who is occasionally a male, usually a male, who has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, a bit grisly, maybe mm-hmm. a drinking problem, yeah. got like a sidekick, like that <laughs> style of trope. I feel like that's been done a lot. And it's a book that, a style that I'm, doesn't interest me to read. I really like the domestic, what would I do in that situation? What if this happened to me? That's kind of... That's the style I prefer, but I, it's not a trope. But I also really get irritated when the publishers, mostly publishers, like the unputdownable thriller with a twist you won't see coming. Yeah, and then you're thinking, well, I'm going to now start imagining all the twists and all the scenarios. And um, yeah, I just kind of wish they, they they took that tagline off because I just want to read and enjoy the story. That's such a good point. Yeah, every single one is the twist, the twist, and it makes you wait for this twist, and it's ultimately going to lead to disappointment at the end because it will never be as big or as fantastic as you imagine it could be the reality yeah. of it setting them up for a fall really because yeah so all the twists have been done like and you're reading it to get to the twist and for me personally I read it and I'm like reading fast 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 like where is this twist? what is everyone talking about and I'm ignoring then the characterization or the setting or the kind of other lovely stuff stuff of the story because I just want to know what everyone's talking about on this you know you yes. won't be get this twist that's so true the marketing is a lot to to answer for with the twist (laughs) pushing that they do and also just puts pressure as well on writers to write more and more twists into stories that not all stories need a twist yeah and again going back to the point where i said the things i don't like about writing is feeling overwhelmed and if you kind of step you you can get stuck in your head a bit and think god it has to be twisty it has to be punchy it has to be a page turn it has and you kind of can get again overwhelmed with and forget what the story is that you want to tell and what you want to say mm. because of what people expect or what the industry is kind of pushing. And I guess because I'm so new into the crime world, I'm, I'm maybe I'm kind of quite naive and, and like, oh my gosh, there's so much to kind of soak up and learn. 
But yeah, I find the the mega, mega twist pressure really difficult because Agatha would have done them, has done them all. Yeah. She came first. That's the thing. It's easy to do them all when you're the first one to do them. But I think as well, you probably appreciate it more coming in from a different genre where it's not all about the twist and it's more about the character and the story and those relationships there. And anything extra above that is just a nice little added thing. Whereas the crime is, you're you're so right. The focus is always the twist, the shock, the unexpected. And how do you keep that going while developing characters and the story? It's quite hard what you do. <laughs> hard, and no wonder I get to cranky mom stage and I'm walking around. Oh going, my god! Oh, yeah, and then another twist, and it's not just one twist. You need a couple of, tw- you know, and some of them do happen naturally, and some of them are like, of course, but. I think readers are so savvy mm. and they've seen it all and read it all and they can spot a mile off when you're trying to throw red herring out. And I don't think we give readers enough credit for you know how how much they've read and absorbed and and expect. So yeah. and as a new crime author, I feel that real pressure of wanting to impress readers, which can lead to kind of a lot of stressful moments thinking, how am I going to pull this off? And and writing p- potentially against what naturally makes sense to you and your natural style, because you're trying to fit a mold that you're, you feel is being forced on you isn't necessarily your, the, the way that you would choose to tell that story otherwise. It's really, it's really tricky. And I think finding your feet and finding what works for you and finding your voice, that all important voice, whilst telling a really good story I don't think it really matters what genre that is in. Mm. That's what matters. And that's what people Absolutely. remember to turn the page and, and keep reading and buying and recommending your books. But, and I love a twist. I, you know, don't get me wrong. I do love mm. a twist. I want to be like guessing the twist. I just want to enjoy the story and then be like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. That's it. Yeah. Going in cold almost so that you don't know there's a twist and then it's a lovely surprise when you get there. Have you ever read a book that you've not, you know, not read the blurb and you've literally gone in blind? Yeah, a couple. And it's really exciting, isn't it? Going in cold to something. Yeah. I've like, got one on my Kindle. When it's obviously a paperback or a hard copy, you can see. But when I get something on my Kindle or um, proofs or something and they don't come with the blurb, the blurb's not even written. But I find mm-hmm. that really exciting. Like you yeah. said, you know what to expect yeah and with a kindle you can't flick ahead i mean you can but you're a psychopath if you do uh, <laughs> but it's so much easier with a physical book to just be like oh what's coming up here then not that i do that but i've heard that some people do do that yeah psychopath mm-hmm. i always read my acknowledge- the, the acknowledgements first oh do you yeah oh. I, I don't read the last page i don't read the last chapter i know some people do that i think that's crazy yeah, that is crazy <laughs> you read the acknowledgements i don't know i just it gets me a sense of who the author is and who they're thanking and I just find that quite interesting. And then I'm like, okay, now let's listen to your story. Oh, that's really nice. I'm going to try doing that next time going forward. That's a nice way of doing it. But just make sure you accidentally see the last line on the page before. Oh, that's the <laughs> risk, isn't it? God, you've got to be careful. They need to put like a little bookmark in, like acknowledgement here or something so they avoid that. Well, I think for the record, I think you've done a fantastic job with this. And I think readers are going to be are already incredible reviews all over Goodreads and Amazon and everywhere. So it's, and it's not even out yet. So that's amazing. It's, it's a great start. You must be very excited. You should be very proud. Thank you so much. Yeah. I've been blown away by the quotes of some authors like mm. adored all their books and they've given me such incredible quotes which are going to be on the front cover. And that's kind of a real pinch me moment. So um, yeah, hopefully I'm doing something right. <laughs> no, you're doing plenty of things right. Honestly, it's really, really, I'm really thoroughly enjoying it. So you're nothing to worry. And I'm sure your, your uh, women's fiction readers are going to love it too, because as I say, there's still strong female characters there and there's a lot to en- engage with other than just the crime part. And I would say as well, the crime parts that you write about, although, you know, it's a horrible crime, 
you you're not needlessly gory or excessive in any way. It's just you know it it happen that has to happen to get to the story you're trying to tell. So it's not gratuitous in any way. No, and I know I, I wouldn't want it to be. You know, I find all that kind of true crime stuff. It's kind of that edging that line, isn't yeah. it? Really. And it's more what we, I want to put the readers in. What would you do if you were in that position? And kind of get you thinking of that, that kind of real psychological on your edge. What would I do type thing? But I also think, like you said, readers are readers and they don't just read one genre. Like we both, you know, we read lots of things. So I am hopeful that the people who have enjoyed my previous books will come along. Of course they will. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of being in a position of a character, thinking, what would they do? If you had to be a character from The Honeymoon, who would you be and why? So Sophia. It has to be, right? She's, yeah. Probably the most level-headed one. (laughs) Yes. And and I really admire her job. You know, a lot of people don't like journalists. A lot of people don't agree what they do and that sort of thing. But I was listening to is it Fiona Cummins episode that you oh, had yeah. on. Thank you. The importance of the free speech. And, and I think it was one of those tropes that she mentioned that she really hates it. And that scuzzy journalist trope. Yes. And I'm with my husband shouting at the telly if there's like, you know, a mob of journalists outside someone's house. And he's like, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. Or on the court steps, you're not allowed to go there. Like, I don't know why he sounds like Mr. Bean. He doesn't. (laughs) No judgment. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It really pulls apart that kind of scuzzy journalist vibe. So but for me, I wanted Sophia not to be that and kind of show, you know, the importance of the job that they do. She's very brave. She it's a career that I, even though I did my degree in it, it's something that I didn't feel like I had the balls to go into full time, but she does. And yeah, so I'd like to be a bit more like her, I guess. Yeah, me too. I mean, she's amazing. And I, Tim Logan said the same thing on his episode because he's also comes from a journalism background too. And it's so easy to just write in scummy journalism and particularly in the era of fake news where it's so easy to just blame journalists for everything. When actually, as you say, they do an incredibly important job holding people to account and holding, you know, people in power to account and writing wrongs and particularly in crime reporting. Like that's not an easy job to do. That's really harrowing, I imagine, and quite traumatic for a journalist yeah. to go through. I know from well, first hand experience with my husband, he's sat in on court cases. This is becoming a bit of my husband podcast. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> but he's sat in on court cases. I just find it really fascinating. Mm. And some of them, the the jurors and have been offered um counselling. And, wow. the and a lot of them have been told you never have to do jury duty again because it has been so horrific what you've kind of experienced and the journalists kind of get overlooked in that yeah that's so true yeah there are people at the end of the day still and, and i i my imagination hence me and my job but my imagination is so overactive mm. i wouldn't be able to see such graphic images that they're shown in courtrooms and be able to sleep at night i wouldn't be able to switch off i don't i have such awe and admiration for these people who work in on the front line, you know, in all the, the kind of those jobs where you're really faced with the real mm. extreme experience of human life. I just don't know how they're able to do that because I would just overthink, overthink and just constantly. So I, I, I think that's a really incredible skill to have. And thank God we have these people able to do that. Absolutely. Another thing about Sophia, I think is really great. And the, and the dynamic, dynamic between her and the other characters and something I think you've captured really well is the weird pressure that women feel like competitiveness against one another in there aesthetically or even just in terms of success and things like that you know it's something i think that all women you're kind of trained to be pitted against each other even though there's no need for that absolutely ridiculous and you shouldn't compare yourself to anyone but i feel like you capture that 
that insecurity that a lot of women have when they see a successful, powerful woman just, you know, living their lives and cracking on like the way the Sophia does. Yeah. Thank you. And I, again, with, with the other female character, Erin, yeah. uh, she's very much more insecure. And so when she, even when she first meets Sophia at this gorgeous resort in Bali and they're on the sun lounges and the first thing she does is compare her body to Sophia's body. And I think that's a real, you know, we don't like to admit to it, but I think it's an innate thing that a lot oh, yeah. of us... Painfully relatable thing for everyone, it's I imagine. Really, you know, I've got a young daughter myself and it's something, but I think it is so innate in us. And that kind of feeling like you're, they're better than you or you're less than them, it just doesn't go away. And even in this kind of era of, you know, be kind, a lot of it's in our own heads and yeah. our own, we're telling ourselves, not other people. We wouldn't say these things out loud. Someone said to me once, you know, you wouldn't say these things to your best friend. So why would you think them to yourself? And yeah. it, that, that inner critic is so hard to switch off. And yeah, I just think that's a really real innate thing. But yeah, that, it's interesting that dynamic between Sophia and Erin and how other people view Sophia, especially being this kind of successful journalist. Yeah. It's something I really wanted to explore. And you, yeah, as I say, I think you've done a fantastic job. It's, it's really, really, it makes a really interesting reading. As I say, beyond just the crime, there's so much richness to the characters. So I think you've done a fantastic job. Yeah. You're very good at it. So unfortunately though, Kate, I have some terrible news I have to deliver to you now. And we're having such a nice time and you're such a nice person and it's been really good to chat, but I'm afraid I have to break this news to you now that you... Kate Gray, have committed a terrible, heinous crime. Like the ones you were talking about that your poor husband has had to witness in court. You are the one, you're the perpetrator of such a crime now. I know. Heinous as well, it's such a good word. I know, I love the word heinous. I try and use it as much as possible. (laughs) Oh God. Have you ever seen the film Primal Fear? Yes. Yeah, because in that, she says, I'm going to use the word heinous. And he says, don't use the word heinous. It will alienate the, the jury. But I always think of like, am I alienating the listener with the word heinous? But it's a great... Yeah, this is the perfect place to use that word more often. Thank you. Heinous. <laughs> well, speaking of heinous, uh, yeah. what what heinous crime have you committed to get to this point? Well, it would have to be something to involve my children, not with my children, but to protect them. Right. That real innate mother bear figure, you know, and there's so many times that if I know a playground, someone pushes in front of them, no. not like, <laughs> but the parents, if they don't pick them up on it, I can see myself. <laughs> if there was ever a crime I would commit, it would be for my children because someone did something or said something or, you know, that. Okay. so I could imagine that happening. And you've got the threat now that you're a crime writer on the playground. You can go up to the parents and be like, I'm a crime author now and I can make your body disappear and no one will ever find you. So See my Google search history. <laughs> you have no yeah. idea what you're messing with. <laughs> uh, okay, so you finally snapped and you took out a parent on the playground because their kid or something was was being a little dick to, to your kids. <laughs> totally, totally justifiable. I completely understand it. But unfortunately, the courts didn't quite agree that that was okay. Uh, so unfortunately, you have been sentenced to death. Yes. Sorry, oh. I know it's pretty bad, uh, yeah. but good news <laughs> to make it a slightly more palatable experience for you. We can make you the death row meal of your dreams. <laughs> yeah, it's almost worth it. Uh, it's not worth it, but yeah. So, what would your death row meal be if you could pick anything? Um, so, well, can I ask? Would it be? Is it happening now? Is it summer months or is it winter? Because that would change my choice. Oh, really? Okay. Do you have a preference? If it's now, I would go something lighter. Okay. If it was if it was winter, I'd go for a full Christmas dinner or the trimmings. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, not in the summer though. 
No. Psychopaths. I would do a party picky tea. Love that. When you go to a buffet, a, a christening or a retirement do or a 50th, you know, and you're just, this is table, a trestle table full of bits. Beige. Oh, beige bits. Scotch eggs and all that. A bit of salad, a bit of dips and hummus and crudités. You know, I could. <laughs> I just love it, and I could, my children love it when it's like when it's really hot weather like this, and I just can't be bothered cooking and turning the oven on. I'm like picky tea, and it's just anything in the fridge it needs eating oh, up. Really, picky tea. So I think that would I just fill my plate, and you could keep going and going and going all the time to kind of put off the inevitable. And then I would finish with my mum's apple crumble. We used to grow with apple trees in our gardens and we were sick. My brother and I were sick to death of apples. Everything, everything <laughs> apples in it. But now it's this really lovely, nostalgic memory of her. Amazing. Okay, so we'll set up a trestle table in the yes. prison with all your yeah. picky, with your picky tea on it. Amazing. And with the crumble, is it custard, ice cream, cream? How are we serving? Custard. Custard. Loads, like a massive vat of custard. Okay. Like a hot custard or like an ambrosia custard? Like what's the preference hot. there? Hot. hot. And she makes it with a packet. So it's, I'm, I'm a tin girl. I can't be bothered, but she's a, some people make it from scratch. I mean, I know, I know. People are, but um, yeah. <laughs> okay. That is a good, strong choice. I have to say not too hot. There's never too hot for apple crumble is the lesson here. No, exactly. <laughs> I'll have a cold, you know, a platter, party platter beforehand. Party yeah. platter. I love that. Cause also this endless rounds, like you could go up multiple times. You just keep going and mm. build that plate up and oh yeah. Love, love that. I like that very much. Uh, you're not the first person to have picked that, actually. That, but So maybe we could lump you in with a bunch of other authors on death row and you could have a big party platter oh, meal. Yeah. That'd, That'd be, be nice. nice. <laughs> it was actually Sam Ripley chose that yeah. as well. So, yeah, you can be on oh, death row with Sam. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, I'd nice to have some company. <laughs> yeah. Although we'll have fight over like, the who has the egg volapant. Oh yeah, that's always a tricky one. And then you end up killing the other one and they like, you're going to be killed anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you've got options. Okay, uh, so you've had your picky tea, you've had your crumble with your vat of custard. Any drinks to go with that, by the way? Um, it would just have to be a cup of tea, I think. Cup of tea. Soft drink, well, because you're not allowed alcohol, are you? Well, yeah. I mean, I'll let you have alcohol. I'll let you, I'll sneak you in a bottle of something if that's what you want. Smash, then. <laughs> Get wrecked with the picky tea. <laughs> Soften your wine with loads of ice big like a whole just give me a bottle really not just a straw that'd be yeah. fine we could get you one of those hats with a, a straw his glasses the... yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah because not yeah. only will you be uh, going out you'll be going out in style then that would look good that would yeah. look good kind of selfie <laughs> yeah the court reporter on that one would be like jesus christ what is happening here <laughs> This place has gone off the rails. Oh boy. Okay, so you've had your your picky tea, you've had your custard, your apple pie, your straw from hat. Mom. Yes, from your mum. A pie. I can't bear a pie. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, Crumble. Please do not get my order wrong. You'll kill again, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not worth the risk. <laughs> Crumble. Okay, got it. So you've had your lovely meal, but unfortunately you have been now put to death and you are dead. I'm very sorry. It's very sad. But one last nice thing that we're going to do is put the book of your choice in your coffin with you. So what book would you be buried with? Okay, I always have questions about this. So is the book choice for me to read in the afterlife or is it just to have as a prop in the coffin for sentimental? It's whatever you want it to be. 
Okay, so if it's to read, it'd have to be my Kindle. Because right. I've got on there. Oh, I that's like, cheating. Yeah, I would <laughs> the max. The charge, I don't know how long the charge would last. That would be the only thing. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good Kindles these days. My one lost like three months, I swear. Yeah, yeah pretty good. <laughs> but my TBR pile is ridiculous. And again, that makes me feel overwhelmed of like, I've got so much to read and so much I want to do and no mm. time. Um, so that'd be really good, just in my coffin, just catching up. Yeah, perfect time to read. You like, oh, I'm so glad I was put to death. This is amazing. I finally read those books. <laughs> These people in lockdown that had like fun things. I'm like, we had like a three year old, a one year old who was Oof. just starting. But there was no reading. There was none, none of free time. So yeah, I'd enjoy that. But if I was there for a prop. I was between, well, I would go between like a sentimental book. So like my children's favorite book, which is Aww. Paper Dolls by Julia Donaldson. That's a really lovely story. Um, I have happy memories of us reading that together or just to kind of like freak people out in case like my coffin ever got opened. I was thinking maybe like taxidermy for beginners or ah, something. I love it. Brilliant. Like, is she there? Is she <laughs> Brilliant. That's a good choice. I think, do you know what? I'll let you have both. Thanks. My gift to you. <laughs> that will really fuck with people's heads. They're like, what is this sentimental taxidermist doing in this coffin? <laughs> oh, maybe the other one was like, what if I got like a really, because I don't really have many cool hobbies, but if it was like, you know, like volcano climbing or surf, sh- sh- surfing, surf sure. surfing. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> ultimate level, whatever. Volcano surfing. Is that a thing? Yeah, there we go. There. Nice. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have, you can have, throw that in there too. Why not? I'm feeling generous today. So, oh, well, Kate, it's been such a bloody delight to talk to you as always. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people, for a start, actually, let's do this in the right way around. Your book is out the 20th of July, but it's available to pre-order now. So, yeah. and it's available everywhere, right? Everywhere in hard book and ebook and audiobook. Brilliant. And where can people follow you online? I'm on all the socials, which I'm at Kate Gray Author or just at Kate Gray. I can't remember which one. One of them's differently, but I've got a website as well. And I've got a newsletter and yeah, come and find me there. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. And I have to get you back maybe to talk about your next book once the pig is uh, slaughtered. I don't know what the analogy to to use for that one is, but... (laughs) (laughs) definitely well thank you kate and thank you for everyone for listening we'll be back very soon with another uh, episode another author interview uh and you can follow us at red and berry podcast on twitter and instagram and you can email us at red and berry podcast at gmail.com so thanks for listening everyone thank you again kate and we'll speak to you soon bye-bye do you know your daleks from your trashings or your zygons from your zagreus do you know what the tardis stands for and do you know which Doctor Who stories featured Kevin Grimlock, the cyborg T-Rex that became the Doctor's companion? Then this is a Doctor Who podcast for you. I'm Baz Green and in each fortnight I chat to my son Ben. Hello. And the occasional guest as we cover 60 years of Doctor Who on TV, Big Finish and more. And I did really enjoy that one. Except that wasn't really actual pirates, it was badger pirates in space, but it was still piratey. Badger but... pirates in space? Yes. But I am willing to make an exception for Pirates this episode. Donald Sumter uh, is amazing. I love the fact that he's just, he just pops up. He just pops up. Probably Rassilon. Probably. Well, uh, they do confirm later on he is. I think they do. Yeah, don't he they? says on like Rassilon yeah. the Redeemer. Of course he does. Bloody hell. And he has, the, he has the gauntlet as well, which gives the hint at that. Yeah. I'm nodding profusely. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. Very yeah. <laughs> no, proper classic Doctor Who as well, not as well, the yes. In a week has done more of the show than the last five years. I, I do like how uh, Rossi Davis is kind of the PR spokesman for the Centurion special. That's quite fun. Yeah. And he's also saying, oh, well, Jodie and Chibnall still have an episode left. I'm not going to tread on their feet, but he is 14, just so you know, for the filming purposes. And a week later, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, these guys are back. Just thought you'd want to know. Find us on the We Made This Network. And all good podcast providers. What about the bad ones? Yes, them too. Ah, good. Because somewhere there's danger. Somewhere there's injustice. Somewhere else, the tea's getting cold. You know, we probably should throw that tea away now. It has been sat there since 1989.